electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The tech run as the Nasdaq goes for its longest winning streak now in some two years. The investment committee debating where it all goes from here. Joining me for the hour today, everybody here at Post 9, Liz Young, Jason Snipe, Jim Laventhal, and Steve Weiss. Check the markets. Uh, Nasdaq is the big winner today. Just about 1%. You see the Dow, S&P, green, uh, 458 is the yield on the 10-year note. Uh, so we've gone for this longest winning streak in a couple of years. NASDAQ, is it really a surprise that tech is, is leading the way? No, I don't think it's a surprise that tech is leading the way, especially on the heels of such a swift reduction in yields. Uh, what I think happened last week and what we're still seeing this week is a bit of a relief from a three-month sell-off and the expectation that the Fed was not done. And now we're operating under the assumption that they are done and interpreting that as good news, that, okay, the pressure will come out a little bit. We won't have as much capital constriction. I don't think that that is necessarily the right way to look at it. So I you, do so think, you think the market's getting, you, you don't think the market's getting this right? Uh, I don't think that a ferocious rally like this is durable, given where we still are, and given the fact that even if they are done, the effects of it are not done. And even if they are done, they're going to hold it here for probably quite some time. I mean, the effects of it, though, have sort of defied some sense of logic sure. for a while. Sure. What if that continues? Because growth is good enough to make it continue. That's possible. That would be the thing that busts my thesis. And I'd have to change my mind and tell you that, OK, you know what? I was wrong and things are much more positive. Somehow we survived this, right? I think it has defied timing, maybe more than logic. There's been still just this waiting game of why hasn't it come through yet? Why haven't the normal things that usually happen after a tightening cycle happened yet? I still think it's yet, not never. Weiss, are you, are you going to order your T-shirt you know, now? It's on the back, says, I survived the great Fed tightening cycle of 2023. No, I'm, I'm going to give Liz a lot of comfort here and agree with what she's saying. It hasn't <laughs> defied logic, it's defied timing. So it's just a delayed reaction because there's so much pent up savings, yeah, so much pent up balance sheet, so to speak, from corporates. And we're seeing that depleted, definitely on the consumer side. So, uh, so I still think this is a moment in time in terms of the rally. It's convincing, but take a look, the market's speaking. I'm looking at deer down 2%. I'm looking at cat continues to trade down. Yeah, you're looking at the wrong stocks, though. No, I'm looking at the right ones. The wrong stocks. And the ones in my portfolio. The wrong ones. um, So so I have been adding exposure, but it's to the names that I believe are more durable and stand the test of time and are not dependent upon the economy for the success. That's that's my whole point. I mean, I'm... I'm uh, I'm glad I was able to make it a more articulate fashion. I I say what I did because when I asked Liz, well, are you surprised that it's tech leading the way? Of course not. 
No. Why would you be surprised? Why, Jim, would you go out and buy industrial stocks like the ones that Weiss is talking about? Why would you buy energy ones, material ones, more cyclical ones that are more tied to what is undoubtedly a slowing economy when you could buy tech? You get growth and defense. I'm very glad you asked because there's a distinct <laughs> answer. Listen, I don't disagree with what you, wouldn't? you guys. What? You wouldn't? Is that the answer? No. No, I would. And, and there's a very, just give me a second here. Give me a I little runway kidding. here, okay? You got all right. Runway. There's a timing question here. We all know it. What is the <laughs> lagged effects of the Fed's rate, tight, uh, rate tightening? And when is that going to hit? What we're missing, though, is for the last year and a half, now almost two years, these cyclical companies, these non-tech companies have been out earning. And there have been tremendous cash flows that continue to pay down debt and now are buying back shares. And what I'm putting to you guys is the lagged effect is supposedly going to come up when debt's mature and they have to be refunded refinanced at much higher rates. What's being missed here is the degree to which balance sheets are being really, really cleaned up. I mean, you can look at cyclical stocks like the, like General Motors. You can look like uh, discretionary stocks like Wind Casinos, the airlines. You can look at NXP semiconductors today and how much they're paying down. These balance sheets are getting cleaned up, and it means that lagged effect that I hear you, the timing. You think it's a timing. That timing is way, way out there. Jimmy's lag it, effect to, to you, to, to counter you, Jimmy's lag effect is that all of this balance sheet work that's being done is going to eventually result in stock prices going up for companies that even the ones he's talking about while they're cleaning up their balance sheets the stocks aren't going anywhere if i may one other point and i'm sorry i know you wanted to go to him but you're right the economy is slowing from a ridiculously high 4.9 percent we all knew it was going to slow mm -hmm. but it's not going into recession and these stocks are still priced for well, a recession. not yet i mean you don't know mm -hmm. if it's gonna or not but fair, fair enough Fair enough. I'm telling you, these stocks are priced for recession. I'm not. Look, I own tech. I'm underweight tech. But I wouldn't own it if I didn't think it was going to be positive returning. I just see positive returns elsewhere for the next six to 12 months. More positive returns. What about you, Jason? How do you see it right now? Yeah. So I think for me, a lot of good points here. But I think the biggest thing, and Liz made this point earlier, I think obviously yields fallen, um, you know, last week. I think also a lot of uh, you know, economic, a slew of economic data that we got was obviously weak, right? ISMs were weaker, uh, labor statistics were weaker, uh, wage inflation was weaker. Um, so I think combining that with weaker yields is sort of the run that we've seen in, in tech. The other point I would make is seasonality is obviously at play. We cannot ignore where we are in, in the greater spectrum. So you're, you're, you're banking on a run then, the continued run in the market between now and the end of the year? Yes, yes, I do. I do think in the short term, um, you know, the, the markets will run. And the other thing I would mention too is, if we follow the advance of decline line last week, breath was really strong as well. So it's not just tech that was performing. It's not that great this week, though, right? The Russell's right. given a little bit back from this huge gain that it had, and these other areas that we talked about already aren't exactly looking um, so sharp. And there are questions as to how how much longer the tech run can can go. Jonathan Krinsky just publishes a note moments ago that says we'd expect the rally to fizzle within the next day or two, uh, if not today. He's just simply talking about uh, exhaustion out of the Nasdaq, which is up 9%. 9% right. over a week, eight right. days. Right. No, and, and there's no doubt about it. I mean, that was a significant run last week. It was the best week of the year um, for, for the markets, period. So I, it's, it's due for some, some, some form of a break, but I do think it will continue to run throughout the rest of the year. I see. I think part of my question, Jimmy, is, is for example, why would, you buy, why would you buy Caterpillar? I'm just using that as an sure. example. Why would you buy Caterpillar over Alphabet? Why would you buy Boeing? over Alphabet or Deer 
over Alphabet. You can't give me a whole bunch of, well, valuation, because Alphabet's valuation is not to where anybody would suggest it's egregious. Yeah, let me give you the throwaway answer first, but then the serious answer. The throwaway answer is why not own both of them? Okay, because, you know, I do own Boeing and Alphabet. Having gotten that out of the way, the reason to do it, you have to have an investment thesis. Everybody, I think, knows what my investment thesis is, which is that when you are downstream of the Fed tightening, all right? And by the way, the Fed is kind of hinting that the neutral rate is a lot higher than we expected going into this tightening cycle. So things may not be as restrictive if they stop here. I'm kind of winking at Liz here, who is the the best macroeconomist on the desk, not putting anybody down. So look, if the Fed is done and this economy keeps expanding on the back of supply chain onshoring, on all those trillions of dollars of infrastructure spending, which has yet to be spent, That's going to be spent on Caterpillar tractors digging up earth to build semiconductor plants, to build charging stations, et cetera, et cetera. And hopefully it offsets the construction, commercial construction. Otherwise, it's grinding to a halt. Look, I I don't think. You added to Alphabet. I did add to Alphabet. I would have used that example before I knew that you added to Alphabet because I was thinking about it before. Like, I think that is, I think that's an argument that needs to be had in the market right now. Right. It's like, why would you buy a cyclical industrial stock over a tech mega cap tech name that you can put your arms around the valuation without feeling sick. Well, he, here's the reason, okay? Put very simply, I don't manage to a benchmark. So I manage for absolute performance. So when you run a portfolio like perhaps Jim does, and he can speak to this, I might speak to it, but like the broad spectrum of wealth managers, of mutual funds, of institutional managers, they manage to benchmark. They're actually happy, and maybe I'm overstating it, if they're only down 5% when the S&P's down 10%. That's not how I look at it. I don't need exposure so I can say, hey, I'm underweight. You'll never hear me say I'm underweight tech. No, but I'm you're, underweight the, you're the perfect so I'm going example, with, though, right. of somebody who's more negative than not, more right. cautious than not, is still buying some stocks, right. and here's the but reason. you're not buying the Caterpillars, you're buying the Alphabets, right. Right. the Microsofts. Right, and I did trade Cat and Deer last week based upon rates coming well, you down. you sold them, though, I did. You? I traded it, and they were good trades, but here's why I'm not. Because to me, I believe that, that my portfolio, my largest positions are Meta, Microsoft, and, and UNH. I believe that they are very much recession-resistant. I do believe if we do go to a recession, You know, we're going in that direction. And I don't have to declare that we're going to a recession. I believe we are, but I just don't have to declare. So what drives those companies? Cloud growth, we're seeing increase in cloud growth this quarter. Google, not so much, but they'll recover. As you see AI increase computing power, increasing data, right, needs. So you'll see cloud grow. Advertising, the advertising models that they have are just killing it. So they're going to continue to kill it. Companies are going to have to advertise more. And then you're going to a presidential cycle where you'll see even more advertising. And Microsoft is its own play, right? They are the AI play, I've said repeatedly. So why wouldn't I own those? So to me, I don't see the opportunity in Caterpillar. I don't see it in Deer. And I don't see it in the others. Why take the economic risk if I don't have I to? I think, I mean, Jason Snipe, you just bought more service now. Speaking I of did. cloud. Yeah. And so, I mean, do you see Datadog today? Right. Yeah. So those stocks are, are on the move. Tell me about buying more service now. 
So listen, I mean, I, I agree with Weiss on the point that there's obviously enterprise spread in the cloud space, and ServiceNow is clearly benefiting from that. I mean, it's a, it's a player, it's a SaaS model that's done very well. You know, it's up 60% year to date. You know, it's up around 12% in the last quarter. Um, and, and for me, I think the, the big thing, you know, EPS growth is up 50%. You know, revenue growth is up another 25%. There, and this is the year of efficiency, right? So a lot of folks are cutting costs and, and reducing headcount. They're not doing that, and they're actually investing in R&D. So I think if, if things do slow down, they have another lever to pull. That's why we decide to add to the it. The other thing, too, is that you know, the, the next generation of investors, so to speak, is drawn to the very names that we're talking about, right? right? It, it is a, uh, every bit a part of their lives. Yep. If they're into the market, it is every bit the way that they invest. We have a new CNBC Generation Lab poll today called Money and Youth in the U.S., okay? Measuring opinions of 18 to 34-year-olds on the economy. It's one year out from the election. Favorite companies. Are you shocked if I tell you that the favorite companies, the top two, are Amazon and Apple? No. For the 63% of young Americans who believe in building wealth through the stock market, another answer in our poll. So two-thirds believe that building wealth through the stock market is the way to go. Where do you think the 63% are going to be putting their dollars to work in the stock market? Yep. Mega, cap, mega cap tech in large part. Now, Target, Walmart, Google on the list as well. So three of the five are, are, are mega cap tech. Mm -hmm. Yep. This is, this is near and dear to my heart, especially at SoFi. We've got 66% of our invest members between the ages of 20 and 40. And we track, we have an ETF that tracks the biggest holdings on our platform. The top 10 are much like those names. Interestingly, at some point in the last 12 months or so, one name snuck in to the 10th place that surprised me, and that was Berkshire Hathaway. So here's, here are the things that I think we get wrong about younger investors. We think that they're going to be scared off by a bear market because they've never experienced one before. They only want to invest in those names, and they only want meme stocks, right? They actually are much more resilient than we give them credit for. They will still invest even after the bear market. We have survey data that proves that. And they, I think, are coming around to the idea that you got to invest in some stuff that's boring, too. The biggest risk I think they face is that, you're right, they do want, they want the disruptors. They want the headline makers. They want the stuff that's culturally relevant, right? And there's this sort of fallacy of familiarity. I use the products, I know the name, I know what the company does, so I will buy that stock and it should do well because I know it and I like it. That doesn't always work. So the diversification lesson still needs to be there. I got, I'm, look, I'm looking at these other names too. I mean, it's not like, you know, I, I told you which ones are the most prominent. If, if we showed you, I mean, I think Coca-Cola's on here. Um, Nike's on here. You know, it's not like a big oil name is, is jumping out to me. Exactly. It's uh, a Peter Lynch list. It's a Peter Lynch list is basically what it is. They're buying the way Peter Lynch used to buy when that worked, which is what are they familiar with? What do they come, into, come to grips with every day? Yep. What do they use in their life? Yep. That's what they're buying, the exception of the OG, right? right? You know, Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway. But here's what I'd say that I, I'm, you know, I didn't expect the younger investors to be scared off by markets turning down. You know why? Because through there, that age group that you're talking to, the 20 to 40 year olds, you know, when has there not been a V-shaped recovery? When has the Fed not come to the rescue during their entire investment life? Sure, but the downslope of a downfall in the right. market is jarring for 
you know, anybody of any age, but certainly when your income level is lower because you're younger um, and you don't have that much money saved up relative to people who are older, right. it can be much more traumatic. And you Definitely. think, well, in the pandemic, making money in the stock market was easy because the stock market basically went straight up from the day that they, you know, put the bazooka right. of, of money into the market. Well, and, and aside from last year where money did come out of the market, You've not seen that over the last, you know, 15 years, really. You've had periods, down periods, but the Fed's always ridden to the rescue. So I think they're, uh, I, 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 you know, I want to be careful I'll say this, but uh, for loss of a better word, uninformed about what such a massive tightening cycle can do and the delays that we're seeing. So these are times that we haven't seen. They're unusual. Yeah, You've but, never seen uh, rates go only, so low. I would only counter that. So I would counter that by suggesting that the most seasoned and successful investors, some in, case, in, in right. cases, some of the greatest ever, got a lot of this wrong, thinking that we'd already be in a recession. Right, because I think that's where the miscalculation was, right, in terms well, I'm of- I'm not talking about novice No, investors. no, but I'm saying the miscalculation was, if you've been in this business for any period of time, you know what a tightening cycle, particularly one of such massive proportions can do. And it was unusual that it didn't do that. Now we're seeing that. It's not that they've been wrong. Keep in mind, equal weighted S&P is flat, right? Yields, treasuries no, I'm have outperformed. I'm talking about in terms of thinking, well, the Fed is, is going to embark on a historic tightening regime. Right. You know, the likes of which we haven't seen in some 40 plus years. Yeah. So obviously there are going to be dramatic effects mm-hmm. on the economy and on our lives and all of this, that, yeah, and the wrong. other thing. And they were wrong. Yep. I mean, it just hasn't happened yet. Whether it does remains to be seen. Well, I think that's the direction, disputably. That is the direction. And Slowly. by the way, you know, going back to Jim, the market doesn't trade on balance sheets necessarily. It trades on earnings. It, it, it trades on EBITDA. Yep. When you're doing your analysis, you look at balance sheets, but whether your debt to equity is, you know, whether you have four terms of debt on your balance sheet or you have two terms, okay, you, you, that's not what you're, you're, you're looking in terms of the market trading. You're being clear. Now, you and I are very experienced, and we know uh, when I say the name Seth Claremont, you know what I'm saying. You know well, what I'm saying. Just don't. let me when, finish. Let me, Seth let, me finish. Clarman, let me finish. I know what you're saying. Let me finish, okay? <laughs> All right. There is a concept in investing known as the margin of safety. All right. And when you see stocks that are trading below the intrinsic value as measured by that balance sheet, it gives you a margin of safety. You know what I'm talking about here, Steve. And also, to the extent that we're talking about balance sheet repairs, we're talking about that does have an effect on earnings, lower interest expenses, the ability to take capital and invest it in profitable new ventures or expansions. Absolutely, balance sheets matter. Um, I didn't say they don't matter. I'm a little surprised you said that. I didn't say they don't matter. I'm saying there's no valuation metric in the market for balance sheet returns of debt. Well, no, you said that's you're not analysis. investing based on balance sheet. Right. You, wait, wait, no, you, you, you do invest based on balance sheet. Without a doubt, I look at the debt on every company invested. My point is the S&P index, the ETFs, the markets aren't trading on balance sheet. Now, what he is now, saying... Hang on. This ties in directly with I was with the one that question. was talking. How can yeah, I hang you're talking, on? You're go talking ahead, too Jim. much. Go ahead, Jim. What, what, what you were saying earlier, was I surprised? You asked all of us rhetorically, were we surprised that those names were on the top of the list? No, we were not. You know why not? Because the last 15 years has been a growth over value cycle. None of us will dispute that. None of us who've been in this well, long enough will also dispute what? that there are long times when value outperforms growth. It hasn't been the last 15 years, but I will tell you this. When you're talking about value outperforming growth, you are absolutely talking about balance sheets. What? 
name is at the top of the list for the greatest investor ever, the greatest value investor, the greatest investor period ever. The biggest position that Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway have is and Apple. I, and I own it too. Is Apple. I'm not, we're not disputing whether Apple's a good company or not. What I am trying to say here, and let me make it clear, is that when you listed those stocks, the reason I wasn't surprised, they're the biggest in there, right? You got Amazon and Apple at the top. They're the biggest stocks. If you look historically, and again, I'm looking at you, you have plenty of history, all right? If you look historically over decades, at the beginning of the decade, the biggest stocks, the only one that has maintained there over the last 30 years is Apple. General Electric 20 years ago was one of the top five stocks, and it probably would have been on that list if we did it 20 years ago. It ain't anywhere close now. Let I don't me, know why you're smirking. You know I'm right on this. Let me, let me bring up a couple uh, other things of note before we, we take a break, because there's you know, a lot of conversation of why this has been so confusing for so many o- over this last you know, year stretch about what's going to work, what's not going to work. It's all relative to where interest rates are going from here. Mm-hmm. Neil Kashkari, not convinced rate hikes are over yet. Okay, so he throws that out. Guggenheim says the Fed is likely to cut rates below 3%, making bonds attractive now. It all ties into the same conversation about where you want to be. Do you want to be in stocks? Do you want to be in bonds? For those who say 60-40s never looked more attractive than it does now. For, you know, Gunlock telling me the other day, uh, T-bill and chill, great time to be a bond (laughs) investor. How would you assess all that? Well, I think we're coming out of this period where we had muscle memory that 60-40 was dead and that equities were the only answer if you wanted to grow wealth over time. So it's been difficult to get people out of that mental state and buy bonds as something that would actually make money. I think the, the real point here, though, and you made it at the top of the question, was that this cycle, this entire last three years, has been inflation-driven, right? Whether it's because inflation's going up or it's inflation coming down, Therefore, the market has been rate-driven. So some of the classic signs that we would expect from a recession, which would be reflecting it in cyclical stocks, the valuations changing because of the fundamentals, right, earnings season actually having that much of an impact on the way stocks move, have been more muted, which is why I think it's confused people. And the thing that has been loud and proud this entire time is everything that is affected by rates. The debate on both sides of of this argument of believers in the rally versus non-believers in the rally. Marco Kalanovic yesterday afternoon, Jason, says falling bond yields in the dovish central bank meetings are being interpreted by equity markets as a positive in the near term. However, we believe that equities will soon revert back to an unattractive risk reward. Mike Wilson had a note from Morgan Stanley out yesterday not believing in a uh, a late year rally. So like the bears are going to be bears. The bulls are going to be bulls. And at some point, we're going to settle the debate. Right. What point that is, I have no idea. Yeah. Do you? Well, I'll say this. I think there's something there, obviously, for everyone. There's something there for the bulls. There's something there for the bears. We have an inflationary print next week. Next Tuesday, we have CPI. Wednesday, we have PPI. The trend has been inflation is moderating. There's no doubt about that. So if that is indeed the case, I I am still more bullish on stocks. But... Uh, to Liz's point, I think, um, you know, obviously fixed income, there's, op- there's, there's optionality there. You know, Treasury yields are they're 5% two-year, there's optionality. It's not there now, but it was, right? So I think um, the 60-40 is not dead. I think there's opportunity there, but I'm still more bullish on stocks. The other point of view to make before we go, speaking of, you know, well-seasoned investors, people have been just, look, Citadel, Ken Griffin, he crushed it last year. Um, I'm sure they're having a, another good year this year. 
Um, he says that you have to invest in China. Weiss, I'm looking at you. He says you have to be, quote, watching and investing in China to tap in the innovation and growth in that region. There's much more innovation outside the U.S. relative to 50 years ago. So we've had debates with you over, you know, China being uninvestable. Now, what do you think about what Griffin said? Do you just avoid that, that region? Yes. Forever? Look, he's Forever? Sitting, look, let's put this in perspective. He's sitting in Hong Kong while he's making that statement. So, uh, so I think it's pretty clear why he's saying, I don't know what, how much of his investor base is sovereigns from China or, or from Hong Kong or related entities. I'm not saying he lacks integrity. He certainly doesn't. But I think that colored some of what he said. Now, in terms of investing in China, he runs a trading book. Okay, that's what he runs. And maybe there's opportunity now. But China has clearly shown that they're anti-foreign business, right? We've seen massive pullout of assets. We're seeing supply chains like Apple switch from China to India. There's a reason they're doing it. Even if you don't worry about them, uh, you know, invading Taiwan, the rhetoric keeps accelerating. So I just don't see China being the area. Now, also, they're upside down financially. So all the easing that they've done, all the liquidity they've put in the system really hasn't worked for a lot. Now, there's some differences there, right? And the differences are their EV companies are doing quite well. Their battery companies are doing quite well. So you can selectively invest there. But as a you broad investment you, you think their mobile phone company, Huawei, is doing well? Um, I, I don't think you want to invest in Huawei. Well, I'm just saying, like, there are other things that are, quote, unquote, doing well. I don't know well. the margins of Huawei. Do you? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Margins typically on companies that manufacture their own phones aren't very good, right? It's a commodity business. So I don't. I wouldn't want to own Huawei, but I haven't done the work on it. On some of the others, Pindu. Well, how do you know Duo? you don't want to own it? I, I don't know that I do. I don't know that I don't. I don't think that I do because of the reputation Huawei has. It's been banned everywhere around the world. That was a big part of their it's business. It's a state-owned enterprise. And, and, and you're not, you're, Jim, he's right. He's totally Jim, right. Jim, Jim Jim's, Jim's seeing reason and reality. He's agreeing with me. <laughs> Welcome aboard, Jim. But I don't know. I don't think you want to make long-term investments there because everything is saying to you that it's a danger to put foreign capital in there. So I see opportunity. Why would I invest in their tech companies when I can invest in U.S. Right, tech let's, companies? Let's squeeze a break here. When we come back, uh, we'll do some calls of the day. We'll start with a buy on one consumer stock. Jim Labenthal just bought it last month. And if you bought it when he did, you'd be up about 15%. We're back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier. Because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit ODFL.com. Old Dominion. Helping the world keep promises. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, we're back. Let's do some calls of the day now. Number one, Nike initiated outperform Evercore ISI. Price target 124. Jimmy. You bought this recently. 
It's a, um, it's, it's a great company. I mean, I don't think we're going to dispute the quality of the brand. It went through a tough couple of years here, and the two things that held it back are in the process of being corrected. One is China demand slowly coming back. The other is margins that were held back because of inventory, which has been re uh, destocked and is continuing to destock. Now, here's the thing. They had one good quarter that reported about two months ago. I bought it right after that. When you have these turnarounds for a high quality, it actually takes two or three good reports quarters in a row. So here's my point on this. I bought it at around $93.5. I'm happy with the results that it's had so far, but I'm not going to add to it right here. I think there's going to be a holding pattern here for at least another couple of months until the next earnings report. If that one is positive, that will propel it to that $124 target. Bottom line, there's no rush. Weiss. Look, what about is, Nike? It, it is a quality company, you say. There is more competition, although I don't know that it's really hurting because their business is so big. Coming from OnCloud, coming from Hoka, the point is, is the markets are open to new brands. Yeah. As I said, I don't know that's happening. But again, I don't think Nike's losing much market share. No, no, no. Yeah. I said because of the scale of Nike's brand, I'm not sure that it's hurting them. But, but what I would say is that it's a consumer brand and that I don't know that you have to be in consumer stocks right now. So I do think that's continued to tread water, and now's not the time to initiate positions, because I do believe there could be further downside to their earnings. Jim, you want to retort that? I can't because we're kind of in agreement. I mean, look, we disagree on the overall macro thesis. He's negative on the consumer because he sees a recession coming. I disagree. We're not going to, you know, we're not going to no, compromise. No, but that's on. why, Weiss, maybe you wouldn't buy it at 131 which is the 52-week high, but when it gets down to uh, 108, I just don't think I have to own it. I, don't I think, think I, it's, you don't it's, have to own anything. It, no, no, but I, but when I look at, I want to own some stocks, right? So what am I not? If I want to keep my cash as it is, if I want to keep my treasury positions as they are, why would I guess on the recovery there and an economic recovery that's opposite of what I believe with the consumer? When I could buy more Microsoft, when I can buy more Meta, when I could go out and look at other tech stocks that I think will be, again, recession resistant. This will not be. Okay, so speak of consumer related stocks, you know, recession resistant or not. Home Depot and Lowe's, Jason, initiated sector perform today at RBC. They have earnings coming up, respectively, in the next few weeks. Home Depot yeah. on the 14th, Lowe's on the, on the 21st. You own Lowe's. Yeah, so <clears throat> clearly Lowe's has been a struggle over the last three months. I mean, the stock's down around 13%, um, down around 2% year-to-date. Part of it is the divestiture from Canada. I mean, sales were down 9% in the last quarter. Um, you know, when I, when I look at Lowe's and some of these home improvement stocks, one, you know, the reason I like Lowe's over Home Depot, I think they have they have growth opportunity in the pro segment, which they have been doing. Operational margins are growing in the 13 to 4 percent, 13 to 14 percent space. Um, so that's that's why I hold it, you know. But it but it obviously has underperformed recently. So we'll we'll see how the how the quarter performs. Um, but but I think it's a hold for us going forward. I mean, Home Depot and Lowe's estimates were both cut at Barclays. Um, Depot estimates were cut at Telsey. That concern you at all? It does. Price target on Lowe's cut to 207 from 212. It does. I mean, and, and the other piece that, that I think has obviously played into the price action is some of the deflation in lumber, right? So obviously that's also played, in, played into the price action of the stock. But when I, when I think about just broadly where rates are, there's not a lot of movement in the housing market. 
right? So no one's recycling at 8%, a 2% rate for an 8% rate. So there is opportunity to kind of resurface, rebuild, and a lot of that has happened through the pandemic, but I still think there's runway there. Jimmy, quickly, because you sold Home Depot. Yeah, I just can't get excited about it. I mean, I'm not saying that you're wrong, and I'm mm-hmm. not putting a bear case on there. Just with mortgage rates at 8%, it's yep. hard to see the stock outperforming. The multiple's still a high teens. Look, I don't think you're going to lose money. I just think it's dead money, so I want to put my money elsewhere. That's not a bear case to call something dead money? <laughs> I don't think... I, <laughs> yeah, I don't have case. a bear case to make, but mortgage rates are 8%, and I think it's no, dead money, look, but hey. Dead money, would, no, bear More case would to be, you. Bear, bear case would be, I think it's Good going luck. down 10%. I don't think my word choice was poor. If I thought it was going down 10%, I'd say, Jason, I'd grab him by the shoulder. Yeah, yeah. He's a strong guy. I shouldn't do that. Don't own Home Depot. I'm not saying that. It's a great yeah, yeah. long-term hold, but for the next quarter or two or three, I just can't get excited. All right. Well, you yeah. voted with your wallet. I mean, yes, I did. counts more than anything. Yes, I did. I sold it. <laughs> All right, let's get the headlines now with Pippa Stevens. Hey, Pippa. Hey, Scott. Well, more than 400 U.S. citizens, permanent residents, and family members have left Gaza through the Rafah border crossing, according to U.S. officials. Crossings were halted over the weekend after an Israeli airstrike, but resumed yesterday. Secretary of State Antony Blinken said around 1,000 Americans and their families have expressed a desire to leave Gaza. It's been one month since Hamas attacked Israel, and an estimated 240 people are still being held hostage. Countries around the world are holding memorials for those killed in the attack and are making demonstrations to honor the babies and children kidnapped. A demonstration in Argentina shows teddy bears with blindfolds, while Israel displayed empty children's beds. And the U.N. Relief and Works Agency reported that around 70 percent of the population in the Gaza Strip has been displaced. Many of the refugees have taken shelter in the agency's facilities, but the humanitarian organization reported that the sites are at four times their full capacity. Scott, back to you. All right, Pippa. Appreciate that. Thank you. Pippa Stevens coming up. We'll have some of the day's top earnings movers, including one that Weiss owns. It's seen that shares nearly doubled this year. We're back right after this. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, let's do some earnings movers. Weiss, you first. Uber. Uh, they missed. They did. Nice turnaround for the stock, though. New high. New 52-week high for Uber. Yeah, um, I'm actually surprised at the turnaround. Now, they missed on the top line and, uh, and in a pretty good CNBC interview that Sorkin had. Uh, that was attributed to, uh, to an accounting adjustment. Uh, however, there's, I don't believe, any adjustment in the bottom line. Small miss, but the volume, the reason why the stock's up, I'm assuming, is because the volume growth on rides, on, on, on DoorDash, home delivery, et cetera, was pretty good. I mean, 25% and above. So that's why it's doing it. I do have some current concerns here, and I did shave a little, not a meaningful amount, uh, 
And the reason being is that it has gotten more expensive. And I do believe that travel is going to come in. We're seeing European airfares being cut. Uh, so that fire hose of demand for travel, I think, is dissipating somewhat. That will impact Uber. So I still want to own it long term because it's a unique asset. Basically, stands by itself. But I just want to take a little bit off. Okay. Vertex. Uh, missed revenue estimates. Let's take a look at the stock. It was down. Um, it's still down about where it was, down a little less than 1%. Jimmy, you own this? Yeah, the stock's been a, just a war horse here. I mean, it's, it's about 2% two, uh, 2% off of its all-time high, uh, really strong returns. I don't think this is a story about a 1% miss on revenue, by the way, it did beat on earnings. This is a, the battleground on this stock is it already owns the cystic fibrosis markets. It's what comes next. End of this year, they're supposed to have results from a, a pain medication that they're working on. That's kind of a go-no-go for the stock. I mean, if, if it comes through, this stock is going to be cheap. As with any pharmaceutical stock or biopharmaceutical, if the, earn, if the uh, results miss, it's going to be a tough time for the stock. However, behind that, they've got other indications. They're working on sickle cell disease. There's a lot of uh, what my friend Ralph says, uh, shots on goal uh, for this company. A lot of shots on goal company, uh, coming. They don't have to make everyone into the net. Okay. Liz, you like healthcare here? I do, but not necessarily for the same reasons that, that Jim is talking about. I like healthcare as a sector, a defensive sector, particularly in the large cap space, but a defensive sector that's not nearly as tied to moves in rates as many of the others. And it still offers growth. There's a lot of hype going on uh, in the weight loss drugs, the breakthrough drugs that are coming up. And I think that there's still a lot of good research and development happening with pharma. Why she bought more Humana? I did. So it was my final trade yesterday. I bought some more yesterday afternoon and I actually bought a little more this morning. Uh, I would have bought more, but it moved up so aggressively today as it did yesterday. Look, when, when they reported, I thought the quarter was OK. They raised the range for their medical loss ratio a little bit, um, which I didn't think was a disaster. Stock got crushed. I think it was down 34 that day or more than 10 percent. I was waiting for it to stabilize, so I've been nibbling at it to uh, pick it up. UNH is still my top position. It's still a much bigger position than Humana, but they both are working on the same fundamentals, and I like them both. It's the place in healthcare to be, in my view. OK, NXP, Jimmy. There was, you know, if there was concern going in, it was related to auto exposure. You own this. What do you think? Uh, it, it got very cheap because of that concern. I think it was on semi two weeks ago that reported and disappointed, particularly on autos, and that knocked this stock down. Uh, what I listened to the call this morning, and I saw, I saw pretty good optimism. There was a healthy degree of caution as well, but they see continuing growth in auto production. They see the Internet of Things and mobile uh, chip demand picking up. But I think the biggest thing is the macro implications of what they're saying, is they say that inventories have been drawn down enough that they're working with their clients to sensibly rebuild those inventories. And they're not doing that unless they see a soft landing. I'm not getting on Steve's case here. They simply disagree with you. And, and this is where I live, listening to what companies say. They see enough demand going forward to feel optimistic. All right, coming up, we're going to talk energy. It's the biggest laggard of the day. Oil prices are now trading at two-month lows. We'll find out how the committee is navigating that space. Plenty of ownership to go around. We'll do it next. All right, welcome back. Energy, worst performing sector today. Oil breaking below $80, uh, down nearly 4%. Uh, take a look at that. Jason Snipe, you got Chevron, you got the XLE, you had a sector pick in our summit. Chevron's at a 52-week low today. What's happening here? 
Yeah, obviously a Chevron stock. I mean, Chevron, the, the uh, chart is an ugly chart, right? So it's ever since earnings, ever since, right? Earnings. Ever since below earnings. its 200 day moving average today <clears throat> as well. You got it. You got it. And I do like the acquisition of Hess a couple of weeks ago. Um, I think that will be long term accretive to the stock. I mean, but the stock's down 20 percent. You know, the 200 day was at 161. I think it's trading at 143 right now. So um, not happy about it. I, but I do believe you know, the, the structural, you know, tailwinds of the supply and demand mismatch still do exist. Um, and, I, and I do think that will be a play for the energy stocks, but the earnings have not been great. And what I will also say about energy, just the greater complex is free cash flow is an important factor for me. And a lot of these stocks have a ton of free cash flow, so they have optionality and what they could do with that. And that's why I still own energy, XLE, as well as Chevron. Down near 4%, Jimmy, on the week uh, is that space. Quarter to date, <clears throat> excuse me, down 8%. You got Chenier, you got Transocean, you got Exxon, and you're pretty overweight this space. Yeah, I'm still, obviously I'm overweight because I'm still bullish on it. I agree with what Jason said at the heart of this. There, are, there is for the next year likely to be a supply-demand imbalance. When we talk about these imbalances and a deficit, you know, sometimes it's like less than a million barrels a day out of global oil demand of 100 million barrels a day. But the thing is, is those small numbers matter. There's no place to get them. And OPEC doesn't look like it's going to open up the spigots anytime soon and help. Um, unless you have the recession that some people are still calling for, that demand is going to be there and it's going to promote energy prices to stay at this level. What I think has gone on with the space, honestly, is this whole year, it's been up and down and up and down. It's gone nowhere. It's a consolidation of the prior two years, in my opinion, of just a breathtaking run. And I think that breathtaking run after this year is going to pick up. Liz? Uh, yeah, I mean, I wish I could offer something juicy here and disagree, but I, I agree actually with what both of them said. I think supply and demand is going to drive this going forward, and that's coming from somebody who is cautious on the economy. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Where I demand should fall apart you. and yeah. be a problem. I think this, is, this has been and will continue to be driven much more by supply constraints than demand breakdown. And in a year where energy has been a laggard in the S&P, coming off of a year, to Jim's point, of up 60%, I think valuations still look attractive. Earnings have been tough, but I think they will come back because if that's the worst of it, then we're on the other side. And with supply constraints, you've got that feeding into margins as well. Well, I mean, the wild card, of course, is the Middle East. Um, of course. The dynamic on prices can change in an instant. Um, Weiss, you don't own anything. I don't. In this I space don't. at all. The, the, the problem I have with the space overall is that the speculators and the speculation in oil prices always overcomes fundamentals, both to the upside when the stock's trading higher and when it's trading lower. So that's the issue. Now, I think part of the reason for the sell-off is that so much money piled in when we had the issues that started in the Middle East with the belief that Iran's going to come in or there's going to be a tightening of, further tightening of capacity in the Middle East, and that has not happened. On the other hand, if you read about it, while Russia came out and said we're holding the line on the cuts, you also read other things say they're cheating, that they're actually shipping a lot more oil. So it's such a tough sector to, to, uh, to analyze. And, you know, given where oil prices were for the last quarter and the performance the companies put in, despite, despite buying back a lot of stock, I don't know how you can buy this on the fundamentals. And I do believe that a recession will cut demand. So, no, I'm not there. It's like such a, there's been so many counterintuitive plays in this market. You know, what happened on, you know, October 7th, you're like, well, oil could easily go to 100. Here we are with a seven handle. 
all the issues around rates, the economy, you're like, well, the market's in trouble. S&P's around 4,400. Dow's above 34,000, and the Nasdaq's almost having eight, eight days in a row. I don't know, message in there somewhere. Up next, Mike Santola, He's, he, know, he knows the message of the markets always. He'll tell us next. Our senior markets commentator, Mike Santoli, joins us now with his midday word. What are you thinking about today? You know, uh, Scott, really continued sort of benign digestion of what we got last week. Clearly, nothing to be excited about in terms of most of the market. You're pulling back uh, the majority of stocks down again today, but well within the zone. I mean, you can go down a couple, three percent on the S&P, still be okay in terms of uh, this rally being something. And then disinflation is the escape route from everything we've been worried about for three months. Uh, So oil doing what it's doing, uh, somewhat softening up of the labor market and wage growth. All that fits into this idea that uh, whatever disaster we were braced for has been deferred, if not canceled altogether. Yeah. Um, You know, it's interesting that all these counterintuitive things we're talking about, you know, oil easily could go to 100 after, you know, what's going on in the Middle East. Now here we have uh, a seven handle. Yeah. NASDAQ tech trade. Wow. Looks done. Here we go. Eight days in a row. Oil. I mean, oil. Uh, Apple is back at, you know, 180. Sure. 181. As a matter of fact, today it was what? 167 10 days ago. Yeah. And mostly the reason it's it's worked out OK, or at least better than expected is because people overshot on the negative side in terms of pricing in something nasty to cyclical stocks while also feeling as if it was a sell the news quarter for big tech. Again, I don't think this is some kind of up and away we haven't all clear sounded, uh, but it shows you that the pendulum uh, swinging back the other way from everybody feeling as if uh, things were quite fragile in the short term. Yeah, I'll see you in a couple hours on Closing Bell, Mike. Thank you. That's yeah. Mike Santoli. Final trades are next. Eastern Closing Bell. Hope you'll join me then. Uh, Cameron Dawson, Shannon Sakosha with me right here post nine. We'll kick around the markets for sure. Walk you right up to the finish line uh, today. Liz Young, you want the final trade first? Sure. Short-term treasuries. We already pulled cuts forward one month. I think they're going to pull forward even more and rates are on their way down. But twos have not responded yet. They are the next to respond, in Weiss. my opinion. Weiss. Meta. Look, I think it's got more room to run, even though I think the rally's starting to uh, get a little tired here. All right, Jason Snipe. Comcast, they crush EBITDA expectations on the print this quarter. All right, the home team. And uh, the good farmer. <laughs> Cisco <laughs> Systems, it's been flat for the last few months. That's a good entry point. All right, I'll see you on Closing Bell. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit CNBC.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. 
Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.